Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. of the machine we built, the vessel that passes through these troubled waters where feet have feared to tread and drink makes man forget, the millstone tied around his neck with all hopes to keep his head above the water, tempest-tossed waves, the tug of war to believe or obey, yet here I lay, and the thought of seeing you again. From sight, streams of oceans course down my cheek and over my lips and those eyes. Those eyes of faithfulness staring back at your prophet, at your mighty herald, at your messenger, this self-seeking servant. At this rage, this stone-cold fury melting in the warmth of your great compassion. Even towards your enemies, toward brutal wicked men, though surely deserving of death and you. You would extend a hand, but I'm not ready for all that yet. I'm still set on proving you wrong, finding where I belong when all along that place is with you. Oh, I can never hide, you're chasing me. Oh, how am I defined when it's your breath I'm breathing? the roots of the mountains, in the depths of the sea. Oh, I could never hide, you're chasing me. Hi, everyone. Never really realized how intimidating it is to kind of follow that. My words are not going to be as eloquent or uh, probably as dramatic. but, uh, yeah, as Brian said, uh, my name's Charlie. Uh, I've been going to the harbor for a really long time. Actually, the first meeting for the harbor uh, at Pastor Dave's house, um, I was actually there for that before the harbor actually started. So um, I've been here since it started and, and definitely love seeing the harbor develop and grow and learning under, under Brian and um, really enjoyed his friendship, too. And it's through the harbor that I met my amazing wife, Elena, um, through a, a trip to passion, and um, so the harbor has definitely changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, so, uh, as you heard, we're going to be talking about Jonah today, um, and uh, just wanted to start off saying that um, I'm not taking lightly uh, just being up here, and especially this time. I've been up here a couple times, and the weight of it really like uh, weighed on me a lot this time. How um, you know, being up on stage, I have the attention of everyone in this room, um, and you're listening to literally anything I say. Um, and that's not really something I want to take lightly at all. Um, but I also want to ask that you don't take it really lightly either, uh, because uh, we're called by God to test everything that we hear. Um, and so I want to ask you to, to test everything that I hear, or that, that I say, and that you hear today, um, against the word of God. And, and no matter what, always, whenever you hear someone speak, whether it's Pastor Mark, Brian, anybody, I want you to test what you hear against the word of God and always trust the word of God. And uh, that's one reason why I love the series that Brian's doing because we're going through the word of God that a lot of times we don't really talk about. um, And that's through the Old Testament. Um, 
We're going through the Minor Prophets and uh, really excited to be teaching on the story of Jonah. So my prayer tonight is that God would open all our hearts um, just to receive what, what he has to say. Um, and so with that, let's just go ahead and uh, pray. God, I just, uh, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, to speak your word, um, to share your word. And God, I pray that it would only be uh, you speaking, Lord, and your Holy Spirit speaking. Um, God, and that you would move in power uh, as you always do through your word. Um, God, that you would change all of our hearts for the better. God, that you would help all of us tonight to grow. Give us an understanding of exactly what you want us to know tonight. God, I pray that you speak through me tonight. God, speak to hearts. And we just thank you for how much you love us and care for us, that you gave us this book to study. We thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be going through the book of Jonah. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, before we get into the verses, though, I want to do something a little different. So uh, a lot of you have probably heard the story of Jonah and the uh, uh, quote-unquote whale. Um, you know, whether you drew up, grew up in church or visited a friend's church, um, it's probably like one of the most popular stories in the Bible. So what I want to do is I actually want to kind of summarize briefly the story of Jonah kind of before we get into the verses. Um, and the reason is because I think in this particular case, the story uh, is so popular, it can sometimes take away from the lesson. Um, you know, it's, it's almost in a lot of our minds. We grew up with it, and it almost became like a fairy tale to us. Um, you know, even like, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, when I would think of that, um, and sadly, I could remember more of a moral lesson from Rudolph than I could from the story of Jonah growing up as a kid. So I don't want to take away from the lesson by the story. So a, kind of a brief summary first. Uh, the story of Jonah starts out uh, with a man, Jonah, uh, being called by God to go preach to a city of Nineveh. Um, Jonah doesn't want to do this, so he tells God no, and he, he flees um, and as uh, Windwards was, was saying, he he's, uh, goes on to a ship where God brings a, a terrible storm. Um, while he's on that ship, the, the men realize something's wrong, and they cry out to all their false gods. And eventually they get to Jonah, um, and they ask him, and they, they eventually find out that he serves the true God, and that it's, God's re it's because of God uh, that they're in this storm. So uh, they throw Jonah overboard. And when Jonah's overboard, he gets swallowed by an enormous fish, um, where Jonah's in the fish for three days. Um, and while in the, the fish for three days, um, it's essentially a grown-up timeout for Jonah. Um, and he's a lot of time to ponder and a lot of time to think. Um, he comes to his senses, and he decides to then go preach to the city of Nineveh. And to be honest, that's all I ever remember from the story of Jonah, growing up and probably the majority of my life. And I couldn't tell you a single lesson how that would apply to my life. Um, but I hope today that we can really get into the verses um, and go through what God has for us. So uh, the main lessons I want to teach on today are uh, about giftedness um, and about love. Um, giftedness and love. Uh, and I hope today that as we go through it, we can realize God's wanting to teach us about giftedness and love. So starting in Jonah uh, chapter 1, verse 1, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles open, the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, 
because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So as we said, we're introduced to Jonah kind of right away. Um, He's called out by God because Jonah is actually a prophet. Um, When I uh, uh, used to read Jonah, I thought he was a random guy. Um, I didn't realize, so Jonah's actually mentioned before in the Bible. Um, He's mentioned in 2 Kings as being one of the prophets who uh, prophesied about one of the kings restoring the boundaries of Israel. Um, it's also thought that he, he might have been mentioned another time among a company of prophets. And I say all that because Jonah's not just a random dude. Um, Jonah's, uh, of his time, it sounds like, is actually a, a, a pretty big prophet. Um, and to be a pretty big prophet in the Old Testament, I would say is a pretty big deal. Um, I would say Jonah's an extremely talented person, um, you know, he, he, uh, to speak the word of God and have kings come to you and listen to you and have your prophecies come true, I would say, would mean that you're very gifted. Um, and that brings us to our first point, is that giftedness does not necessarily mean godliness. Giftedness does not necessarily mean godliness. There's a lot of really talented people out there, a lot of really gifted people out there, and a lot of really gifted people who are doing really great things and some would say for God. Um, but just because you're gifted doesn't necessarily mean that you're honoring and following God. There's a verse in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And this verse has been weighing on me a lot lately. Um, I believe Jesus is coming soon. Um, And if he's coming soon, that means that this verse is going to happen soon. And that means that there's going to be so many talented, gifted, amazing people who are going to come before him at the end of the world and expect to get into heaven and expect him to say welcome, and instead they're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. This is terrifying. And, and I think this is the type of fear we should have when it says to fear God. It's not that we're scared of God, but that we have such an honor and respect that we realize we're going to stand before him one day. And see, Jonah might have been an extremely talented person, extremely gifted, but at this point in his life, he wasn't following God. He was rejecting God. Giftedness does not necessarily mean godliness. And I hope in your life that maybe you have gifts and talents or you're doing great things and good things. I hope that you understand that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're godly. But godliness comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And godliness comes from a willingness to obey and sacrifice our lives. We're going to skip the whole Uh, whale or fish, um, because it's so well known. We're actually going to skip to Jonah chapter 3, reading through verse 1 and 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So like I said, he had a change of heart in the whale. Um, He decided that he wanted to follow God, and, and he goes to Nineveh the second time, or for the first time. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Fun fact. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Uh, This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent with compassion and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So what happens, Jonah goes to Nineveh, he walks into the city, and he starts giving a sermon. And from this sermon, the entire city gets saved. The king himself decides that he's going to proclaim a fast across the entire nation. But I want to reflect that the Bible mentions one sentence that Jonah says. One sentence in an entire sermon. And it might be that there's more in it, but the Bible mentions one sentence. Jonah Three days journey, walks into the city one day, says one sentence, and the entire city is saved. I bring that up because God doesn't necessarily need a talented message uh, to speak to people. Um, The Apostle Paul had to defend his sermons because people were expecting these great, talented messages from him. And they were accusing him, saying his teachings are, or his letters are powerful, but his teachings are so weak. So Paul had to say, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, Paul knew that God didn't need a talented teaching to move in people's lives. And you can see it in Jonah. God didn't need a talented teaching to move in revival. And the same is true in our lives. I think we can use it as an excuse to not have an impact on this world because we think, I'm not talented enough. I'm not gifted enough. I I didn't go through seminary school. I've never been up on stage. God can't use me. God used one sentence. Imagine if I came up here. We had a a great, uh, great worship. We listened to the spoken word. I came up here and I said one sentence and I walked off stage. You guys would think this is the worst sermon in human history. Why would Brian ever bring this guy up here? But imagine if I said one sentence and the entire room repented of every sin, and gave their hearts to Christ. See, it's not about a person up here. It's not, about, it's not about words that a person says. It's about the power of God. And if we give our lives to Christ, we have the opportunity to have that power living inside of us. And I think a lot of times, like I said, this should convict us and encourage us. It should convict us because we have no excuse. We, we don't need uh, enormous training We need the word of God. We need the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we can change the world. And it should encourage us because for the exact same reason. Guys, Jesus Christ was a man just like us, but filled with the Holy Spirit. And he changed the whole world. The apostles were men just like us. Let me rephrase. God, Jesus was a little more than just like us. But the apostles were men, women, just like us. Prophets. Men, women, just like us, um, filled with the Holy Spirit, fishermen who were used by God. Romans 12, 1 through 6 uh, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We're actually going to skip to verse 6. We, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I love this verse. It, it changed my life when it kind of hit me. Um, first comes sacrifice. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Jonah didn't at first. He sat in a whale for three days, and he vowed then that he's going to follow God after that. First sacrifice, then gifting. And God will gift every single one of us if we sacrifice our life. And then, I love what Paul says. He says, go, do. I used to think like, oh man, God's gifted me in this, or he's gifted me in that, but I I don't have opportunity for it. But Paul's saying, if you're gifted, teach. If you can teach, teach. There's so many people out there that you can teach. If you can heal, go heal. I know hospitals. Do you know hospitals? You know? If you can give a word of encouragement, go, encourage. You have friends, I'm sure, that you can encourage. It's not like a magical uh, formula. First sacrifice and willingness, then we go. We're going to move on to Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And this is after uh, Jonah's preached to the Ninevites. Uh, They've all repented. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So what's happening here is, is when God sees the repentance of the Ninevites, he turns from his anger, and he, he wants to forgive them. He wants to save them. And this makes Jonah very mad. Um, I think to understand the story of Jonah, we need to understand really who the Ninevites were. Um, the Nineveh, uh, Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, was a capital uh, in the nation of Assyria. And if you read through the Bible, you'll see Assyria is mentioned a lot. Um, It's usually not in a good way. The Assyrians would go to, like, war with with the Jews. um, And there there wasn't, like, a a great relationship, let's say. Um, So you got to understand that that Jonah really didn't like the Ninevites, and somewhat rightfully so. I mean, imagine uh, the equivalent today. I was thinking, and times are definitely changing. Um, But I would say... The, the enemy of America that we would all agree on, we would say, was ISIS, maybe like a year ago. Um, imagine if, if you had a, a brother or sister who was killed by ISIS in a war. Imagine if, if you uh, uh, knew family who went over there, and then God came to you, and he said, I want you to tomorrow drop everything, hop on a plane, fly over there, not just to the Middle East, but I want you to fly to the Middle Advice. I want you to fly to the, the main camp. I want you to go to the main leaders, and I want you to preach the gospel to them and preach to them that God loves them. That really grinds against us when we hear that. But that's literally what God was saying to Jonah. He said, I need you to go to the enemy of my people, 
See, the Jews were God's people. And he said, Jonah, I need you to go to the enemy of my people. And I need you to preach a message because I'm going to save them. And that was so hard for Jonah. He hated the Ninevites. That leads us to our next lesson that God has always loved all people. And he will always love all people. Now there is a time for God's wrath and it's coming. And the Bible says that there is a time for God's wrath. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But first, God is patient. And first, God is trying as much as he can to save all people. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, that verse is Peter's talking to these people who are um, wondering why Jesus is taking so long. And I think, honestly, I think some of us can relate to that. You know, it's been 2,000 years. Why is Jesus taking so long? What this verse is saying, he's not slow. He wants to save more people. So Jesus knows there's more people who might give their life to him. And there is his wrath coming, and he knows his wrath is coming. But he knows if I can save more people, if I can get more people to come to me, it's going to be worth it. And that's why God's waiting, this verse is saying, for 2,000 years. Because he's giving opportunities just like the Ninevites, just like the Israelites, just like us to show grace and mercy before his wrath comes. And that should lead us then uh, to our next point, and that's that God commands us to love our enemies. If God, the creator of the universe, is willing to love and forgive his enemies, we have to be willing to love and forgive ours. See, Jonah missed the mark. I mean, he throws a... If you read the end of it, he throws a huge pity party. He says, now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's so mad at God's love that he'd rather die than actually live. Jonah missed it. He maybe grew in willingness, but he didn't grow in love. And I think we can listen to this, and we don't realize how much we all struggle with this. I have an individual in my life, um, and I, I'm not going to be at all specific. I want to keep it very vague. Um, but I have an individual who I would consider an enemy. Um, and this individual, and there, there's always two sides to every story. So, you know, I could be totally wrong. Um, but on my side, what I feel and what I believe is that this individual has hurt me purposefully. Not just me, but has hurt my family purposefully. And has done things to really tear apart my family, um, and to just cause harm. Um, and the result, I've been so mad and so full of hatred for that person. And there's been so many times in my life that I've had to repent of that. But I think the popular Christian belief a lot of times is that if someone hurts you, or even worse, if someone hurts your family, you have a right to get even. You have a right to demand justice and punishment for that person. That's not what Jesus teaches when I read it. When I read what Jesus teaches about loving my enemies, it's not getting even. It's forgiving and it's love. It's like God with the Ninevites. It's showing grace and sending someone to try and save them. 
What I want to do is I want to read over us a couple of verses. Um, like I said, I believe in the power of this word. I'm reading a book right now that's, that's really talking about just the power in this word um, with, without our interruption. So I want to read these verses over you, and I want you to do me a favor and just kind of close your eyes, and I want you to listen to the verses. I want you to shut out maybe your, your past views, um, uh, your tendencies, and I want you to hear God in these verses talk directly to you and what he has to say. We're going to start with Matthew 5, 38 through 45. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Matthew six fourteen through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Romans twelve nineteen. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the last one, 1 Peter 2, 19. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What is God telling you in those verses when it comes to your enemies? What is he telling you in those verses when it comes to people who disagree with you and people who hurt you? What God's telling me is that I show grace. Somehow, I show forgiveness. I show love. What God's telling me, and this is, this is Jesus, this is the word of God, we have to believe it. He's saying I have to go against my natural tendencies. I have to love. Jonah missed that. God got it. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, because while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he died for us. How could we not do the same for our enemies? <clears throat> There's a story um, that I heard recently from a teaching. Um, I was listening to Francis Chan, and he was quoting a sermon from Louis Giglio. So I don't know who said it first, and Ultimately, hopefully, it was God who said it first, and so no one could take credit. But um, he was talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. And if, uh, if you don't know, before Jesus went to the cross, he had a moment uh, where he went to a garden to pray with his disciples, with some of his best friends. Um, and while Jesus was in the garden, he was in extreme turmoil and anxiety, so much that, 
that uh, he was dripping uh, drops of blood as, as sweat. Um, some believe that was literally uh, a condition of, of being under such anxiety that you literally drip uh, drops of blood instead of your sweat. So he's, he's terrified. He's going to the cross. He knows that, that he's going to be away from, uh, uh, apart from the Father for the first time. He knows he's going to be beat. He's going to be uh, tortured. He knows that people are going to mock him and desert him. And so he goes to this garden and he asks his best friends, pray for me, guys. This is the worst time of my life. This is the hardest time of my life. I don't know how I can go through this. Please pray for me, guys. And he goes off and he prays and he comes back and his best friends are sleeping. So by himself, no one there for him. And he goes and he cries out to God. He says, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And what Francis was bringing up, he was, he was bringing up thinking of it as him and his child. And it made me think of me and my child. I have a son, Sammy, five years old. He's the most amazing person in the world, apart from my wife. Um, he's adorable. And to say that I love him is an is inaccurate word. The way I feel about Sammy is he's my son. I don't even know what, what I could describe as the way I feel about Sammy. Um, imagine if my son came to me and he had to die for somebody. And he came to me and I knew my son was going to be tortured. And my five-year-old son, I knew he was going to be murdered, deserted, hung on a cross, suffocate to death. And imagine... At my son's worst moment, while on that cross, I had to turn away, and I couldn't be there for him. That's what happened on the cross. And imagine if before that, my son came to me and said, Daddy, is there another way? You know, what would I do? See, the cross wasn't just hard for the son. It's hard for the father. But imagine if I had to turn to my son like God and say, Sammy, we love them. I know they hate us and they hurt us and they do everything against us. And for, for thousands of years, they've, they've basically rejected us. But son, we have to. We love them that much. Guys, that's love. And that's the love God had for you. That's the love God has for you. While we were still sinners, enemies of God, we're responsible for hanging him on that cross. And while that's going on, Jesus walked with joy to the cross. And his father in heaven, with joy of all the people that he could forgive. And that's how God loves his enemies. How could we ever do otherwise? How could we ever hold something against somebody when Jesus Christ went to the cross for me? See, God is calling out to all of us right now. Just like he was trying to teach Jonah, just like he's been trying to teach all of us, let's not miss it. We need to love if you're a Christian, God's calling you to love like him, and he's calling you to love like Jesus.
If you're not a Christian, he's calling you like he's calling the Ninevites. And he's saying, I love you and I gave myself for you and there's a time to come back to me and it's now. God doesn't want any to perish. His wrath is coming, but he's trying to be so patient. So I'm gonna ask the worship band to come back up. Um, I wanna ask you if, if that is you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you never understood maybe how much he really did love you, I wanna encourage you, and I'm not gonna do like a prayer, um, but I wanna encourage you that Jesus is ready for you and all you have to do is cry out to him and fully give your life to him. And what it looks like is what we talked about, love, commitment, grace, sacrifice, obedience. And so if there's anyone here who feels that calling, I hope that after you'll go up and talk to Brian or talk to me or one of the leaders. Um, And uh, yeah, with that, let's go ahead and uh, we're gonna pray. Dear God, I just thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you so much for going to the cross, for all that you suffered for us, Lord. God, we're, we're, we're sorry we put you there. But thank you for the example you set. Lord, help us to be like you. Help us to lay aside revenge and anger. Lord, help us to open our hearts to the grace and love that you have. Lord, it's impossible for us to forgive like you forgive unless we have you living inside us. So I pray, God, that you would fill all of us. Lord, that you would speak to those tonight who don't know you. Lord, and that they would turn to you, God, and that all of us who do know you, that you would speak to us a better way to live our life, God. We love you so much. We thank you. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.